You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today I'm speaking to a very powerful comic presence indeed. A very funny lady, a South African uh, by birth. She has moved and naturalised in New Zealand. I think naturalised is the world. She's got, she's got herself a passport. That's what it's all about. Uh, this is the fantastically funny Ursula Carlson. You are presumably now, which, how many times have you done this festival? This is my fourth time. Your fourth. Yeah. And you are commanding an audience. What I was in your room the other night. What is it, like 400 seater? Yeah, yeah 400 seater, and I think they allow for like 100 walk-ups. Okay, and you're so, filling it every, every night, night for a 10-night yeah. run. Yeah. So you're kind of having a pretty banging festival, right? Yeah, man. So does this, mean, does this mean you can put the best hotel in Christchurch on your contract? <laughs> no, they just get, what I say, and this is uh, the God's honest truth. The first year I came, we stayed in this place that had bed bugs, um, but then they got rid of it. Like after like ten thousand bites, they kind of got the fumigators in. One day they said, "Just leave all your stuff. We'll wash it." And then they got the fumigators. But and it's really old, like it's very dated, nineteen seventies kind of place. But it had a kitchenette and a great swimming pool. And because it's summer, so we say to them every year we go, can we go back to that place? And now, actually, the festival's gone. It's a bit munty. We don't want to... <laughs> You've wanna... been subtly manipulating Yeah, them. we go, please put us back in the shithole. And they go, no, we want to give it... But so they just moved us literally a block away from where we were. Same kind of scenario, a little bit dated, but instead of the 70s, it's sort of the 80s, but it's got a pool and a kitchenette, so... Very nice. Yeah, because I can't... Like, people think it's all fun and games when you have restaurant food every day but it's like oh it just does my head and I need to cook you know so I say to them just give us a place where I can just do some cooking yeah. and you know are you the only comic who has been back for those last four years that you've done this because you seem a real sort of fixture of the, the festival no actually that's sort of still a newbie compared because some people like Jeremy Arwood Michelle Accord those guys yeah. have been back like eight, nine, twelve times yeah, yeah. yeah. and they... as, as Derek Flores was saying last night it yeah. used to be a buskers festival yeah <laughs> and now, <laughs> now the stars comedy. have moved in and yeah. taken all the best venues yeah yeah, because it's just people have just gone, oh, what do we do at night? Mm-hmm. So it just kind of gives the festival, I guess, that opportunity to get a big marquee that seats 800 people and chuck some comics in there. 
I mean, we'll do it for anything, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you must be a big fan of New Zealand because yep. you live here now. When did I you do. move here? Uh, 2006, eight years ago. Okay. Now, listen, I, you, you're a, you're a, I think, is it fair to say you're a celebrity in New Zealand? Um, I don't think New Zealand has celebrities <laughs> because I think we're too small. I say um, I'm well known. I, okay. Yeah, people know of me in New Zealand, okay. yes. And presumably then you've done a lot of interviews, you've done a lot yeah. of this is my life story, this is where I'm from. You've, you know, you're yes. quite, I, I get the impression, and it's not from anything you've said, but I'm just looking around at your online presence, it seems quite a kind of a measured, dynamic online presence whereby yeah. you've done, you've obviously got great PR, you've done kind of the Women's Weekly type interviews and, yeah. and talked well, about kids and stuff. No, and, yeah. that's the thing, that's the thing. Like, I do a lot of interviews, but I don't really reveal a lot. Like, because I, mm. I don't talk about my, my personal life ever. Or So I've done Women's Day um, interviews and Women's Weekly, and I'm actually a columnist for Women's Weekly. And people go, do you talk about your kid? Or do? I go, no, I don't. Like, very few people know I have a kid. Very few people know anything about my private life because I just feel... I chose, well, sort of, I fell into this career, but this is my responsibility. And my family didn't sign up for any of this. So I always make sure um, if I do an interview, I never put them in the limelight or I never say anything about them because. Like, even with my kid, I don't want her, say if she's 16 or something, you don't know what they turn into. What if she's shy? And mm-hmm. then she goes, I can't believe you did all of this. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like, so I would never do that. Does, but does that go on. I totally, I totally push my career or, you know, because if they want to have an interview, I go, yeah, I've got this festival coming up or I've got this TV show that's launching. So I, I totally use it for that. Mm. They, as long as they're happy with what they get and I'm happy with what I get. It's a win-win both ways, isn't it? So give us, for people that don't know you, I know we've got yeah. a lot of listeners in the UK. Have you been to the UK? No, I haven't. Not, not for comedy. I've been to the UK, but not okay. to do comedy. Yeah. Okay. So if the majority of my listeners are in the UK, just give us a quick... Do, do the life story in 30 seconds. So we do, you, you, and I'm sure you could do okay. this. This is a radio show. Yeah. We're here with Ursula Carlson, who's got 45 seconds to tell us her incredible life story. Okay, I was born in South Africa, the biggest baby that was ever born in this uh, particular hospital in Johannesburg. Uh, lived in South Africa. We had a game farm. It was good fun. Lying in the carport, um, read up on that. And then <laughs> moved over to New Zealand in 2006. Uh, best decision of my life. Got married, have a kid. Uh, fell into comedy five years ago. Okay. O- only while living in New Zealand. I see, I see. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I, I didn't know that. I thought yeah. that you were in, you were a comic in South no. Africa. Okay. No, I used to work in the newspaper industry in South Africa. In the, the what industry? Newspaper industry. Oh, right, okay. I didn't even know that comedy was a thing. I didn't think you could, like, bef- if- before my first gig, I'd never even been to comedy. Yes. I didn't know it was a thing. You're, you're, as you, I mean, you listen to the podcast, you know I'm fond yeah. of, uh, of referring to people's origin stories. Yeah. Yours is, you're one of those people, like, it's such a beautiful kind of soundbite that it makes me go, oh, come on, that can't be true. <laughs> yeah. Like, you got given a, a Fake like contract. a leaving present that was yeah. gone. What, what is Okay, this? so I, because I worked for Ogilvy, an uh, ad agency, and then, um, I went to another agency, and as a leaving gift, they gave me this cheap coffee maker, and, uh, a fake contract to go to an open mic night because the people that are... We worked in these little pods, like okay. a copywriter and a designer and a photo retoucher and whatever, and we always had a good laugh, and they go, you should go do comedy. And I said, you're out of your mind. And then they um, gave me this fake contract and made me sign it in front of everyone, and I thought, oh, I'll get out of it, but they'd already booked it in. They'd no way. So, and this, this isn't a thing you can buy in the shops as like a joke present. No, this no, is no. They made it up. Your creative friends going, right, yeah. let's force this you This is my creative friends that made a certificate. 
Okay. And then um, they made me sign it, this little gift So they, they effectively staged an intervention to turn you into a comedian? Yes. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to do it. And they go, well, we've already booked you in. You have to go do five minutes. What's five minutes? And this, we've booked for 70 of us to go. And I was like, oh. So then I thought, because I was still pretty new in the country, I didn't want to look like a dick. So I said, all right, I'll go do it. I'll go do it. So I went, did it, had a beer afterwards, good fun. You what, was, know. what was the gig? Um, it was just over mic night. It was on St. Patrick's Day in 2008. Okay. And I walked out on stage and, I mean, I had no idea what stand-up comedy was, you know, sort of. I mean, I've, I've heard, like, you know, listened to DVDs and stuff, but I'd never been to a live show. I didn't know how it worked. So I just kind of walked out and because it was St. Patrick's Day, everyone was dressed in green. And I just went, holy shit, I can't do that. I look like Shrek. And then people were laughing. I'm like, what? <laughs> And then, you know, like, and so I sort of just talked to them for five minutes. I had written down some stuff, which I then said, and they laughed at that too. So I was like, of course they laughed. I know 70 people in the audience. Yeah, okay. So when I left the next morning, I got a call from the owner of the club, Scott, and he goes... This this was the classic? At the classic in Pinstring, Auckland. I go, uh, and then he phones and he says, you're through to the next round. I said, what are you talking about? He says, it's Raw Quest. With every comedy festival, they look for new talent. Um, and apparently this was in the competition, but we didn't know. It was just a piss take at work. So I go, oh, I'm not interested in that, mate. Give it to somebody else that wants to do it. I've already got a job. Like, I'm nailing life as it is. Yeah. I've got, I've got. And he goes, he goes um, no, but it was like people were laughing. I go, oh. I said, people were laughing because I knew the majority of your audience. He goes, I was in there. I was laughing. You don't know me. Uh-huh. And I thought, Okay. And he says, come back, do it again, don't tell anyone. So I just went back, didn't tell anyone, did it again. So Scott Blanks created you. Basically. <laughs> he forced yeah, you. Yeah, like yeah. the intervention created yeah. you. Yeah, it's like everyone was sort of in on it without knowing. That's so lovely. Yeah, but by then I was hooked. I was like, oh, yeah. And then okay. a year, year after my first gig, I had to quit my job because comedy was just taking over. It was amazing. My boss went, choose, comedy or advertising. Well, we're not having a podcast about advertising, are we? <laughs> <laughs> no, we can get into the differences between them because, I, I mean, I, like, we all know that, uh, that if you boil it right down, we're all advertising beer. That's what I mean. Sort <laughs> yeah, of effectively, yeah. that's how the economics work. Yeah. Um, so let's talk, about that. let's talk about that first gig. Yeah. What did, what, do you remember what jokes you taken on stage? What did you write? Yes, okay, my first joke that I ever did um, was about... Silent treatment. It's actually on YouTube. Was about how um, if you know, because I'm a lesbian, so I've got a girlfriend, and I go out. And I said, you know, like people always say, you're so lucky that you have a girlfriend at home because boys are such decades. And um, and I go, it's not all you know, ecoya candles and you know, cinnamon buns. Because uh, women, we have problems, you know, and we all excel at silent treatment. And, like, my girlfriend and I haven't spoken since 2004. And just stuff like that. And then, of course, the Shrek thing and oh, and how I don't suffer from low self-esteem, but as a child I had to be cut out of a hula hoop. <laughs> and so just this whole, you know, sort of everything. It was just all about me and um, what I look like and um, sort of my relationship, stuff like that, you know, stuff okay. that I thought would be safe to talk about because okay. I didn't want to offend anyone. So, Did you think that that was a risk that you might... 
Yeah, I was scared if I, because like people at work would go, all you do, you see who's in the front row and you just take the piss out of them. Okay. And I thought, oh, I don't want to do that. Okay. Because I remember, and I think this is why I never went to a comedy show. When we were little, my mum went to a comedy show and she got picked on. She sat in the front and she's never been back to a comedy show until I started doing comedy. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. So in my, like if I do a solo show, I always say to audience, I, I don't pick on my audience because mm. they come to see a show, not be the show. Mm. So that's why I, like you have to really be out of control for me to intervene and put you in your place. Yes. Like if you heckle or something, then I'll put you in your place. But I won't go out of my way if I see somebody in the audience with yes. anything. I won't pick on it. I had one in the the, uh, the comedy show here two nights ago. There was a guy in the front row who was on his own. He had a, a spare, an open chair next to him. And I thought his, his girlfriend was like coming back from the bar or his friend was coming back from the bar. Yeah. And uh, and I said, so are you, uh, and are you out on your own tonight? And I, I, I don't know why I said that. This was an empty space. And he went, yeah. And I had to I really quickly go, I'm not going to do jokes about this. And I immediately, good man, he's come out on his own. Give him a round of applause mm. and then move on. Because the idea of bullying someone, <laughs> I mean, that's when it feels yeah. like it's the sharp end of... Yeah. People think that they get picked on. And comedians all go, oh, it's not really picking on them. Yeah. But we're used to the attention. We're used yes. to the gaze of everyone. And people aren't used to it and they don't want it. Exactly. And that would have been his number one fear coming out. He would have to- tossed up in the car and going, should I, should I go in... If they see I'm by myself, yeah, you know, so that would have been a thing for him. So if you had picked on her, he would yeah. have gone, oh, my God, yeah. I shouldn't have. And he'll never do it again. But sure. if you just let it go, then he'll go, no, it was safe. I can do that. You know? Yeah, I hope Because so. I always say you never know the people's backstory. Like they come out or say somebody's got a wonky eye or whatever, and you mm. go, holy shit, you've got a wonky eye. And then you do a bit about it, and it's a cheap laugh, you know, because people, A, can't even see that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and B, it's heightened. The, the yeah. response is heightened because it's immediate. You don't need to yeah. be clever. Yeah. You just need to say what you see, don't you? Exactly. The so then you get a cheap laugh out of it, and that guy leaves and feel, feels terrible. You've yeah. ruined comedy for that guy. Live comedy, that guy will potentially never come back. So I don't, I don't do that. I don't like that. So given your kind of rise, is that? I mean, that's meteoric, isn't it? From like getting forced into a gig, getting yeah. the promoter ring you up and insisting you go back <laughs> yeah, to yeah. quitting your job a year later. Yeah. What is it that you think you've got that that is responsible for that? I don't know. I I think, or I kind of hope, it's because I'm quite approachable and people. Because people come up to me all the time and they go, "Can I?" Like today, I went to the mall and I had five hugs before I got to we the We were on our way to the bar last night, and some lady stopped you and said, yeah. "Can I hug you?" Yeah. yeah, and that was about my tenth one for the day. Like people hug me, they, they, you know, like they're lovely. They just come up and talk to me, um, and I think that's amazing. That you know, like I like the fact that I'm quite approachable. I like the fact that people just yell out of their cars or t- come up and talk to me. I haven't had. Touch wood, um, any negative or, you know, like really out of this world negative stuff. Like people don't yell negative stuff at me or, you know, it's rare to get it. I do get it sometimes, like people take the time to write emails or whatever, but um, it's rare. So I think that and um, I try and keep this my material fresh, like I write a lot. Mm. Um, so people, like I've got like boomerang crowds that come every year. Yes. So it's my responsibility to give them something new every year. Like, I don't want to do half of the show that's old stuff and half new. I give them a new show every year. Um, and I think people 
appreciate that and they sort of because every year the stuff that I write I still stick with what's personal stuff I know you know so I think like it's almost like chapters in a book every year they come back they, they learn something new or they hear something new or you know it's not all deep and meaningful I, I want to get onto the the material in a minute, but I just want to stick yeah. for the minute with with your persona on stage and mm. with your your personality. Do you feel that you are uh, a naturally funny person, or do you feel that you're naturally likable and you're you're bringing your jokes up to the level of how much they like you? Do you, do you see oh, what I mean? That's, because yeah, that, that's that, quite, yeah. Well, I think I'm I'm naturally funny because if I just have a conversation, and I think that's why I got into comedy because we would just talk and then people would laugh, and it's sort of it's sort of that contagious thing. The more they laugh, the more you want to be funny, you know. So it's sort of a, it's sort really, of a, absolutely. I mean, that yeah. absolutely genuinely happened to me just then. Yeah. There's something so twinkly about you, and there's yeah. something so warm that yeah. I just want to be laughing in your yeah. presence. See, so that's great. So then, the more you get the laughter, the more you want to sort of build on that and then before you know it you're just in this riot thing where people go stop I'm going to pee my pants you know you know so I I don't know I think it's just because the stage persona thing I don't think like to me it's a survival thing because I get really bad stage fright before I go on okay so that surprises me go on yeah I'm I'm really bad like I I basically stand side of stage trying to talk myself in, but also out of going on stage. Like, I'll go, why am I doing this? I could go back to my old job and, you know, because I get really petrified. But then once I'm on stage, it's like, I just take a deep breath and I I don't think I put on, uh, like, I don't give them a show. I try just to chat to them like you would to, if you were just at someone's house having dinner or something and you just chat to them. Yes, just try to be as non-performative, just try to yeah. be as, as fr- like a host at a party sort of thing. Yeah, like I'm just having a conversation with my audience. So I would do the same, I think, if there was two of them or 500 of them. I just Because I think then people sort of feel like, I'm just talking to you. And in my mind, I am just talking to one of you and then to the next one and then to... So, yes. and I Because that way I feel less overwhelmed because I think initially when I just started doing it, because realistically I've only been doing it properly for three years, where um, I've gone, all right, because the whole time it's like, should I stick with advertising or should it be comment? Mm. Like I couldn't really decide. I was sort of petrified to take the big leap, you know. And then I thought, well, you can't ride two horses with one ass, can you? So you have to kind of choose. And then I, when I fully committed to comedy, it kind of went from doing little 80-seater basement rooms to doing big theatre kind mm. of, you know. And so for somebody that has stage fright, that is quite a bit of a, it's almost like a punch in the gut, you know. <laughs> like, yes. Like you go, I can handle People the People keep forcing me to do comedy and then to do bigger audiences. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like literally this is the yeah. conversation I have with my manager every year after the comedy festival. She'll go, next year we have to go to a bigger venue because every year you have to do extra shows or extra. I go, no, 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 let's stick with this. We know we can do this room. Like, I know I can do a 400 or I know I can do a 500. She goes, no, but next year we'll do a 700. I'm like, no, 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 no. And then she'll just sign me up for it. And when you're, I, I suppose when I hear my contemporaries having those kind of conversations about, oh, I don't know if I want to go up to go up another 200 seats, yeah. I, I suppose I always assume that they're meaning that from the point of view of, I don't know if I can sell that many seats. Yeah. But you actually, it seems like you're saying it from the point of view of you don't know if you can play that many seats. Yeah, because it scares the it hell out you. of me to see all of those places when you walk out. But then, 
I think, and I always say it at the beginning, I'm not going to pick on you. And I think if you reassure them, and because I have so many people that will come back, they sort of know. Like, even if I say now, I won't pick on you, some people in the front go go to their friends, no, she won't. Like, they sort of, you know, they go, I've been here before, she doesn't. You're good, you're good. Um, And when I see how relaxed they are, because I think the nervous thing for me is, because you know how they say the number one fear is public speaking, but when you walk out and you look at your audience and you see how petrified they are, because people are scared to sit in the front at a comedy show. So you're scared and you look at them and they're scared. So it's not a, there's not a comfortable, those first few seconds on stage is not comfortable. Mm. You're sort of assessing each other. It's almost like when you're faced with with a snake out in the wild, you sort of assess each other and go, who's going to go first? You know, but it's your job as the comedian, as the professional to go, we're all going to be all right, without actually saying that. That's what it's like for me. Who are your, who are your contemporaries? Who are your other female contemporaries? And I'm, I'm, I don't mean to, I'm, I'm not suggesting for a minute that female comedy is a genre, yeah. but I know you've won the New Zealand Comedy Guild Best Female Comic for the last four years. Five years. Five yeah. years. Yeah. That's presumably going to start getting embarrassing, is it? Do you, when you see other female comics in New Zealand? No, oh, because... Me again, I'm best. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I think... Um, because I, that's why I said to you, I don't think there's celebrities in New Zealand because we're so small and it's more a community than a, you know, because we all work together all the time, you know, like you would know, you sort of work with the same people. Um, and it is kind of, it is really supportive. It's not, so because I've known all of them, you know, from the get go. Uh, and it's Justine Smith, Michelle Lacourt, Irene Pink, Rose Matafei, all those guys. Um, and, like, they get nominated every year. And it's sort of, honestly, it could be any one of us. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I don't get it, Five I won't Five years be... in a row. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why is that? Why, why do you think that is? I just want to try and get to the bottom of this. You possess some kind of quality that makes you... Funnier, do you think, or more taken, more clasped to the bosom of your audience? No, do you know what I think it is? I think it's more, it's basically just brand recognition. And because I do a lot of festivals and I do um, TV and I do some radio and I'm, I write a column, and I so I'm sort of, I, I'm not just in the one genre, I don't just stick to the one thing, I sort of have my finger in many pies because uh, I think it comes back to that being petrified of not having a real job, yes. you know. So. And presumably, having worked in uh, advertising, yeah. you understand how to manage your own brand. Yes. So um, so then I think when people think female comic, they go, who's that one on the radio? Who's that one? So I'm sort mm. of everywhere. So mm. it's almost like Coca-Cola. When you think soft drink, you go, uh, it's Coca-Cola, What you know. So you sort of yeah. start with the ones that you just see a lot of. Um, but also Coke is the drink that most people get sick of. <laughs> so so you, you, it's a balance. Well, a do form. you? How do you make those decisions about, do, do you ever, or have you so far found yourself going, I'm getting overexposed? Yeah, you... I've said no to a lot of things where I go, I could do that, I could risk um, taking that, um, you know, and just go for the money and be, you know, sort of all over something. Or I could go, no thanks, and still have four or five years in sort of that field where you slowly expose just a little bit of yourself. So, yeah, I say no to a lot of things. If I go, I don't think it's good for me. And uh, I'm in the lucky position where I've got a great manager and we're sort of on the same page. And, um, 
we we sit down like once a year and make a year plan, a two year plan, five year plan. Because I'm all about pre planning, you know, a bit mm-hmm. of a control freak, but. And we know, like, she'll phone me up. She goes, we've got this offer that came in. And both of us will just go, no. she go, good. <laughs> I have to check. <laughs> you know, I have to check if you're on board or whatever. But no. Like, okay. I think you have to be clever and not just go for the money or for, you know, you have to be clever and say, well, I can take the money now and be out of this game. Because who knows? You, you know, it's not like... If I was an accountant, I know I'd retire at 65, maybe 67, and boom, this is my plan. Yeah. But this is entertainment, so it's like how long does it last? You know, so you need to future-proof. Yes. So yes. that's what I'm trying to do. So this is Ursula. As you can hear, this was recorded at the Christchurch World Buskers Festival. Um, Ursula's great. Uh, you know, she's, she, what, she's a really fun lady, I love the fact that she listens to the podcast. Uh, that always flatters my ego enormously. Um, and I think she's just got some really good stuff to say about the whole process and that whole that whole way by which one becomes... And again, I don't want to say every man because it's an inherently sexist topic, but is there is there an equivalent phrase? Every person? That quality whereby you go, oh, where huge numbers of people go, oh, you're just like me. I relate to this. I relate to you. Um, so that that's a really fascinating element of her comedy. So thank you very much to Ursula for her time. Thanks for listening and thanks for your donations. I'm really, really appreciating your donations. Uh, you too can be part of the, the crowd of the cool kids that like to give money to the podcast. Simply go to comedianscomedian.com and you can choose your own donation amount. Uh, simply click on uh, the, the very visible, very obvious and clearly visible uh, PayPal button at comedianscomedian.com. Um, so click on that and you can decide what to give me. A pound a show, 50p a show, £20 a show, a one-off donation of £20 or a really big belly-bustering one if you'd like to, to do more than that. Um, thanks to everyone that's been, uh, that's been donating. I really appreciate it and I promise I don't fritter that money away. I only spend it on new equipment for the show, new routes to take the show, work on the website, work on PR, all the things I can do to make the show bigger and better and more inclusive and all of those things. So that's very much appreciated. I very much appreciate it, and as do all of the other listeners as well as you because we are one big, happy, tragic family. Uh, that's all for now. Tweet me at uh, uh, ComComPod. Email me, info at comedianscomedian.com and I will speak to you again at the end of this bit. Let's get back to the brilliant Ursula Carr. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So talking then about the material, which, which number hour is this for you? How many hours have you got under your belt? Um, I've got, um, I think, five or six English shows and two Afrikaans shows. So you speak Afrikaans and perform in Africa. Do you go back yeah. to South Africa? No. I've you done, do them over here? You do them for expat South I've Africans? Did them, yeah, I've done Afrikaans shows in Melbourne, Perth, Wellington and Auckland. So two in Australia, two in New Zealand. And what's the difference between writing those? Are you, are you doing the same material? No, it's completely different shows. Completely different shows. Because writing in Afrikaans is sort of, it's so much easier. Because all my references are just to the expat crowds. It's, yes. like, it's almost like making jokes with your brother. You know, you can say something like, snot bubble, and your brother will just lose it, and everyone else will go, what's wrong with you? But you know when you guys were seven and nine, your mother yes, laughed yes, till a yes. snot bubble popped gotcha. out in church, that kind of thing, you know. So it's the same thing with South Africans. You just go, you st-, and people start laughing, or, you know, anything like that. Um, so it's a much easier audience to write for. And do you have a different relationship to them? Because I know the way, certainly your, your brand positioning over here, if you like, is she loved it so much she moved here. It's like yeah, that, I yeah, bought the company yeah, thing, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. uh, that's obviously you know, hugely endearing and it, it reflects your natural warmth yeah. really well. But how do you position yourself to, to South African no, expats? Same thing, same thing. I just okay. go, I love you now. I'm I love one it. of you, we all yeah. moved. Yeah. Could you give us your opening line in Afrikaans? Oh, it's kind of difficult. It's, <laughs> it's weird. It's like uh, I'd like to hear it. I don't know the language at all. Uh, uh, I'm just trying to think, like what I would say. So uh, that sort of puts me on the spot. Can we get that's back okay. to that? That's okay. Yeah. You can get back to it, or yeah. you can think about it for thirty seconds, and we'll we'll edit the gap out. Yeah, you just think. Okay, this is what I'll say to the South African audience when I start. Um, Hello, welcome by the vertooning. Um, here is the land van Telepols in Extra Seiker in Tiersakis. This is what we're going Okay, and what's this, what does that mean? Okay, so that basically means, hi, this is the country of tea bags, sugar and extra teaspoons. Because that's sort of the thing that is, I very expensive in yeah. South Africa. Yeah. That always, when you go to people, you go... Um, like, that's the thing people would come borrow from you. Like, that's our thing. Okay. Sugar, tea, like, everything you need to make a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, it's, it's a whole separate kind of... Yeah. Well, it, obviously, it's a whole different culture, a whole different yeah. continent and everything. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, it's like a world within the world that yeah. you're doing observational comedy yeah. within that. That's fascinating. Yeah. And because you can take the piss out of them, um, because the people living here, you know, like, a lot of people immigrate over and then they last maybe six months and they go back to South Africa. Okay. And then you go, why did they go back? Or oh, they missed the help, you know, like, because, yeah, they have to clean their own homes and, you know, do their own lawns and stuff. And it's such a foreign concept now. And once you've been out for like a few months, you're like, you can't even think 
that somebody else will come and do all of that stuff for you. Whereas people, some people come over and they can't get over the fact that they now have to do stuff for themselves because it's so ingrained in us as a society that somebody else will do it. You know, so sort of that's why it's easy to take the piss out of the ones because you go, well, we're here now. Uh, of course, you all iron your own jeans. Yeah. So, because all South Africans iron jeans. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> I can spot a South African walking in the street because the woman will always have their hair blow-dried. Okay. Always. The woman will have their hair blow-dried and their husbands will have their jeans, their denims ironed. And you go, that's a South African couple. It's just, that's what they do. So we're, I mean, we're getting onto the topic of observational comedy here. Yeah. So that great, great, you know, lovely observation, yeah. which to me is completely fresh Nothing. and yeah. kind of, you know, no, no idea, wouldn't yeah. have spotted it in a million no. years. So do you, have you always noticed things in that way? Have you always mm. had, like, pre-comedy? Have you always had a sort of a, were you making your siblings laugh or your friends laugh by pointing out the, the yeah. way the world is? Yeah. Because I, you're incredibly natural at, at sort of doing that. Yeah, I think, because I went to boarding school okay. in high school, a very nice boarding school, but um, we'd all sit in study hall or dining hall, you know, you do everything together. It's a massive boarding school, um, like 1,500 kids in the school, and, you know, to do everything together with everyone that's sort of an age range, five years around you, you know, mm. so it's like the opportunity to make friends, to just have a great time is amazing because everyone's sort of in the same zone as you. So, and then you see the teachers walk past or, you know, so it's nice to kind of go, look at that, you know, and just make, because you're not allowed to laugh in yes. study hall, it's yes. silence, you have to. So it's almost like working in a library and you have two prefects just watching you that you keep quiet and do your homework. So it's, it was always a great challenge for me to see who I can crack and study all, you know, <laughs> who I can get to just lose it and go into detention by just either not saying anything, just pulling phrases or pointing stuff with my eyes or whatever, just to get them to start laughing. Because then it's like laughing in church. You don't want to, but yes. you can't stop. And then I mean, that to me, to me, as someone who went to a very authoritarian school that I did yeah. not enjoy one bit, <laughs> that to me is like, God, I wish I'd either had that quality or treated it like that or yeah. thought of doing that. I mean, yeah. I, did, I had a laugh some of the time, I'm sure. Yeah. I don't remember yeah. it well. But, um, yeah, that's... So is, is, is your life yeah. and has your life always been just laughs? Yeah, I think so. I'm from a long line of people that just take the piss out of everything. My brother used to say to me, because he's the funniest dude I've, I know, and he used to say to me all the time, like, if you're in any situation... You have the opportunity to, um, you know, just be all serious or you can look around and go, these people, because it doesn't matter where you are, like if you're at a comedy show, if you're in the bank, if you're at the supermarket, everyone around you is at that moment in exactly the same position that you are. Because I I went through a phase when I was about 10, 11 years old where I'd go, uh, if I'm in some way, you know, like say if you go into the dollar shop or what you go oh, what if somebody sees me in you or, you know, like you think other people think badly of you or whatever. I think it's normal, that teenage sort of, when you just enter into that teenage phase. My brother one day said to me, like, just as I got into that, thank God we had this talk, he goes, it doesn't matter. He says, it doesn't matter what you do because the people around you at any that stage is doing exactly what you're doing. They're in exactly the same situation that you're in. So if you're... 
in the supermarket or you're, all of those people need to buy food. So at that time, you're in the perfect position because they all, so you can be friendly, you can be, you go, I'm doing exactly what you're doing. That's, that's very interesting. Seen in the, yeah. in the, in the paradigm of your stand up. Yeah. It's all about saying we're all the same. Yeah. We're all doing this. Yeah. And that's why even when I get really nervous, I'm like, we're all, so when I, I usually we're all say, nervous. I always yeah. say to my audience, we're like a little community. We're in this for the next hour. It's me and you, you know, regardless how this thing turns out, we're all going to have the same story or, you know, sort of the same thing at the end of it where, we, you know, you go, well, I was just there. I just And does that. that ever, does that ever not work? Do you have bad gigs? Do you have times when you don't yeah, manage course. to catch the, the feeling of the room? Yeah, of course. I mean, everyone has bad gigs and sometimes, like, especially if my, if I don't get a hold of the stage fright by the time I have to go on um, and I, I'm a bit panicky or I'm a bit you know, whatever it comes across as, because I think whatever you are, if you're tired, your audience will get tired because they pick up on whatever you have. If you're up, they'll be up. If you're nervous and skittish, they'll be, they'll go, you know, because it's almost like if you get in a plane and you're waiting and the pilot gets on and he looks real nervous, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to go, oh, shit, we're in dead yeah, trouble now. Pilot, you'll be, that's a good yeah, analogy, yeah. Yeah, so that's sort of, if, but I, if the pilot gets on, I've got this. You're going to go, he's yeah. got this, guys. So if you're on stage and you haven't got it, yeah. can you get it? Um, I have been able to get it occasionally where I go, okay, this is not working. But see, I believe in total honesty with my audience. If it's not working, I'll go, um, yeah, it's not really working. You guys aren't into that. Let's try this one. And then I'll bring out some like A grade that I know will get a good laugh and then just sort of, or oh, I'll just start talking to somebody sure. or, you know, just doing some observational stuff. So my biggest thing, crutch really, if it's not going well, is to stop, take a deep breath and just go, all right, that bit's not working or I'm, I'm freaking out. Just take a deep breath. I'll have a sip of water. Go, I'm a bit parched. And just, just say what I'm doing, you know. Like not saying I'm freaking out, I don't yeah, know what's yeah, happening, yeah. but I'm just going, just need to put a water, talk amongst yourselves and just sort of taking a second uh, and then the turn reset. back. and Yeah. yeah. And it really works. Whereas if I just keep freaking out and keep going, keep trying to push, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. So I did that in the beginning. The reason I mentioned the, uh, the is, is your life all laughs thing. We had a very brief conversation last night about the Susan Kelman interview that yeah. I did and about yeah. that aspect. And I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about, I don't remember exactly how you phrased it last night, but you were saying, hearing her describe her depression. Yeah. Well, what, what was your well, reaction to that Because that, that really helped me sort of to get a grip of, um, because I don't know anyone, like no one in my family has depression or, you know, sort of, I don't have any point of reference. I don't know how it works, how, you know, sort of. But now that I'm in comedy, I know quite a lot of people with depression. It's amazing how many comics have depression. And, yeah. uh, you know, and of course as an adult now, I'm sort of expanding and, you kind of get to know more people with it. And I'm like, I don't even know how it works. Or So listening to that was really I good see. help. And also, because you think, well, as a comic, I'm fu- like, I'm funny. Just when I have a chat, my friends always laugh. Or, you know, people go, shit, man, you're so funny. Um, but then I think of people with depression, like, if you're just not in that zone, how difficult it must be to sit down and mm. write funny stuff, you know, if the last thing you feel like is doing that. So it was quite quite good actually. To but that. you but you never you never have that. No. And you never. So when you sit down to write, yeah. 
what, it all just comes out of you and there it is, bang, there's an hour. How long does it take you to write an hour? Uh, it depends. I'm busy writing one now. I usually use this time in Christchurch, the two weeks that I'm here, to write a new show. Um, but what I do is I write with somebody else. Like, I'll get uh, my friend Nick Rado, who's also a comic, but our voices are completely different. You yeah. know, like, he's a young, fit, straight guy. Um, and so we just... Uh, we'll sit down for three hours. The first hour and a half, we'll go, everything's yours. So then he pulls out his book with all his notes and his mind map, and we just write, and uh, he goes, I've got this thing about this. And I go, okay, well, we can do this. Or mm-hmm, we just mm-hmm. come up... Every gag that is that a comes, great rule, by the way. The yeah. first 90 minutes, everything's yours. Everything's yours. If it comes out of my mouth, if it's real funny, it's yours. Like, that's what... And then we take a little break, and the next one is mine. Everything that comes out, he puts all his books away, we do mine, and that's it. And Does, do you ever squabble over that? Have, have yeah. either of you ever gone, oh, oh, come on, no, that's one minute in, no, that thing I said, no. I've got to hold on to it. No, but what has happened is, like, I'll come up with something for him while we're doing his 90 minutes ago. Oh, just quickly, for your thing, I think mm-hmm, we sort mm-hmm. of, like, add, as an add-on, yeah, 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 as an add-on to something, that'll sound great if you say it. And then, and what things? What things do you think? You say you've got a very different voice to yours. And Nick's an excellent. He was I was working at the festival him yeah. with with, uh, with Nick last year. Excellent comic. Yeah. What what differences are there in the approach in the writing approach that you take? Just as a just as a way of kind of hacking into what it is that you do to make yeah. stuff funny. Yeah. What what things are you good at doing to, for him? And what good at, what things is he good at doing with your stuff? Um, I, 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 with him, I, he sees the funny stuff, he writes down the funny, and then he needs to write down the build-up for it, basically. Okay. Whereas I don't have the funny yet. I have a story, and then I start writing the story, and then I have to go back and add the funny in. Okay. So say if I have a funny story about a giraffe, I write the whole thing down about the giraffe story, then I go, now how can this be funny? It is a, a factual story, so now I've got that truth element. Now I need to make it funny so people can sort of, you know... So I have to go back and write the funny. So sometimes it's like, um, I've got this idea, I can probably put that in. Yeah, yeah. or you can put, you know... And just like small things, like you just go, talk about the eyelashes. Oh, yeah, giraffes okay. have massive eyelashes. So then you sort of, you know... So I just go back and put that in, and then with him we go, oh, you just need the build-up. You've already got the heart bars. Yeah, <laughs> so okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And are there... Are there aspects of comedy that you feel are out of your reach? Are there things you see other comics doing that you think, I wish I was better at, at that bit? Yeah, hell yeah. Well, what kind of things are we talking Anything. about? Anything. Because a- at the moment, people are going to be listening to this going, well, she was just born funny and she's got no. a great life. No. <laughs> we, we, no. We've got to get some negativity no. out of this. I can't do, I can't do accents. I can't do noises. I, I'm not good at physical stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I just basically stand and talk. I'm, you know, stand up. I'm literally just that. I stand up, um, but I, I have none of the other skills I have, you know. Um, and also, like, I see people interact with audience members and I go, that's not one of my strengths. Like, I can talk to them, um, but it's not... Like, say, Nick, again, because mm. he's a great MC, so he's good at just riffing with the audience for, like, half an hour. Whereas I'm like, yeah, I can do... I can give you five to seven minutes, but then I, I, I want to get back to my material, mm. my safe zone. And would you like to be able to riff more? Is that a occasionally? Yeah, I think I think it's a strength that I don't have. Like it's not a. But the only way to get it is to do it more. <laughs> yes. Which and I guess you're not in a position now where you need to be bothering 
spending time riffing. If you've got if you've got a yeah. show to write for an eight hundred seater and you're going to do that twenty times, yeah, then there's probably not much point doing yeah. open spots where you can talk to the audience for fifteen. No, minutes. but I do. Um, I do love a bar gig. I do love a bit of a, a shit fight. Yes, you know. Yeah, I love a tough gig. Where people go, it's not great. And go, that's awesome. I love that. I love because I think that's what makes you hardy as a you know. Where you go in and go, I can do it because yeah. you need the tough gigs because festivals are easy. Yeah. Because people come to see you, they already love you. You've already won them over. Whereas if you go into a bar, a ninety percent of the people just want to drink, mm-hmm. you know, and then ten percent go, who, what, uh, and then you're just standing in the corner doing the show and. I, ca- I kind of like that. I've, I take sick pleasure out of that. I love it. Yeah, because I think because I don't have as many hours under the belt as most mm. comics, you know, sort of at the same level as I, I am now. So it's like I need to do the terrible gigs and even the daytime sunshine gigs, I go do them because I feel, you know. What are, the, what are the daytime gigs? You know, like if you do a music, I just did music festivals in Australia. Okay, yes. But it's during the day, it's like one o'clock in the afternoon and the blazing sun when everyone's a bit, you know, music festival-y. Um, and, you know, it's like the toughest comedy gigs, but... When you're in a green room and people tell their war stories, mm. you know, you don't want to be the one go, oh, I've actually only done awesome gigs. I don't, <laughs> I don't do terrible bar gigs or daytime gigs. Or um, I think it, it sort of shapes you as a comic if you do the hard ones and you sort of make it through the other side. And, you're, and, and what, right. are your, what are your tactics for making it through the other side? What are some of the toughest gigs you've had and what did you have to do to make them work? Just basically that, during the day, sunshine or where people are eating and you just have to do it and people aren't really interested in you, they're more interested in the buffet. And basically the only thing, you just push through. You just keep talking, make eye contact, keep going, keep a smile on your face. Even though they're not smiling, they can't wait for your your 20 minutes or half an hour to be out. Just go, I'm getting paid to do this and I'm going to be up here for half an hour or however long I'm being, and just... Be a professional. Do it. Mm. And thank them for their time and walk off and go, thank God that's done. But, you know, just do it. Like, you don't... You just push through. This is so... This is great. This is so deeply ingrained in you, this this sense of... You know, from, from very few years ago when you yeah. worked in advertising and had never even seen a, a live comedy <laughs> yeah, gig, yeah, yeah. to now be like, you know, kind of have the, the sort of war horse mentality of, <laughs> yeah. I'm not coming off. No, you, know? <laughs> you better get into it or get on with it. Yeah. yeah. If you, I was wondering, something I wanted to ask you was if you, like, if, if a young comedian is listening to this and mm. wants to be like you, what's the advice that you give them? Is, is that it? Just keep... Keep at keep it. Keep going. Yeah. Well, what I because I mean, some might say that you haven't had to do very much keeping at it. Yeah. You know, you've been fairly blessed, kind of. Yeah, career-wise. I've been very blessed career-wise. I've been very lucky, but it's a lot of work. You have to write a lot. Don't just go with the same crap over and over and over. Even if you've got an amazing fifteen minutes, don't let that be your fifteen minutes for the next seven years. Keep writing. You know, you need you need to write all the time. It's hard work. Um, and I always say, because when people just start out, they go really dirty, you know, and, and there's a big difference between ha-ha-ha and ho-ho-ho, and I think very few people can hear that in the beginning. Yeah. Um, you mean you mean the, the... The shock laughter or the, you know, like... 
you have to be careful. Like I always say, if you start writing in the beginning, um, write about what you know because it's safe and then you you won't forget your material if you know the story. Um, and also write stuff that you wouldn't mind your mother walking in while you're doing it. Because now you listen to rookie comics and they go, yeah, well, Louis C.K. does it. Louis C.K. is a legend. He's been through all the hard yards. He knows the rules. You can only break it if you know it. Um, and he is a master at keeping his audience. Whereas if you go out, you don't know the rules and you just start off with real raw, rude shit um, and the audience is just going to go, <laughs> no. And you're going to lose them. Whereas if you do stuff um, that's sort of, I know it sounds terrible to say, do safe stuff in the beginning, but do yeah. safe stuff in the beginning that you yeah. know I'm in control of this. Um, well, presumably, if you can make them roar with laughter about pencil um, cases, exactly, then that's and that stands out in competitions as well. In the, yeah. the few competitions I've seen without having been involved in them and pacing up and down, <laughs> and yeah. vomiting well, backstage, yeah, yeah, with a w- sweating wanting, blood, yeah, watching all of my friends to fail. Do you know what I mean? That horrible <laughs> yeah. thing that it is. Yeah, oh, yeah. But yeah. The, the the few that I've seen, it really that's the advice I often give people if they yeah. sort of email me through the podcast is take all the dirty stuff out because yeah. it looks it looks naive and it looks yeah uh, and I had loads of dirty stuff when I started yeah yeah because it's safe well well you think it is you go well I've heard pro comics talk about poo or talk about kids or talk about don't do it yeah because you don't know what they know they you know I think and once your audience likes you you can get away with a lot of stuff. Like, I'm hardly a clean comic, but when I go out, I start off slow. Make sure they like you, they're with you, because once they're with you, you can take them places. Um, but it takes a while to get to that point where you understand that you and the audience, you're sort of in this ride together, and you're steering it. And they'll only trust you if you don't make a mistake in the beginning. Whereas if you come out and you fumble the first five minutes, they're not going to trust you for the next 55 mm. minutes. So when you when you sit down to write, are you a mind maps person? Are you collecting kind of clippings of newspapers? What's your what's the what's the overall strategy? You know, I mind map, and I don't get up till I have a skeleton of a show. Like if I go, and I think like I don't get overwhelmed because I think writing is sort of such a, a natural thing for me. I do it all the time, so I don't. When people go, I'm going to write an hour. I go, you're setting yourself up for failure. You should write four 15 minute shows. And make sure you've got a good segue. That's all. You just need four 15 minutes. Because 15 minutes is not overwhelming. You can do that. Anyone can do that. You can do that on a Wednesday afternoon at a coffee shop. So if you can write four 15-minute bits, that's three segues and a good night, have a good day. And that's it. You know, like that's all you need to do. So I mind map and then I go, that's about five minutes, ten minutes, you know, sort of so. And then I take those and I write it down. And and you're mind mapping things you care about or things you think are funny. What, what, are those, what are those sort of starting points? Which, which angle do you start with the idea? Like in your latest show, you yeah. talk about uh, apartheid, which I'm pronouncing wrongly yeah. in my anglicised yeah, yeah. way. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. Yeah, your dessert way. Yeah. Uh, and it's correctly pronounced. Apartheid. There we are. Yeah. Um, a lot more angry. <laughs> yeah. Do you start with that word or that concept or do you start with the desire to make something funny about, about that or do you start with the idea of separateness and then it ends up being about... Well, I sort of start out with, like, I just chat initially. I don't, I don't sort of reveal what the show's about 
um, right off the bat, I usually give them about 10 minutes. I just sort of get to know you kind of stuff, you know, talk a bit to them um, and just sort of ease them into it. And then I start with the show. But then I go, this is what the show is going to be about. And then I just start. Like I tell them, this, uh, like I've done a show about um, I'm going to need a second opinion, which is about me. Uh, surviving cancer when I was 20. So I start off with, this is a, I'm going to need a second opinion. It's a medical thing. But then I start about all kinds of opinions that you get. So I sort of build up to it to the, at the end where I'm like, but, you know, I live. I live at the end. It's about mm. cancer, but I'm through it, that kind of thing. So... But in terms of, I don't just mean in, in terms of where you start on stage. Yeah. In the writing, what's the the genesis of each bit? If you're going, right, I've oh. got, I'm going to sit down and do one of my 15-minute bits here. Yeah. Oh, no, I just start, like, I in the middle of the mind map, I put the title of the show, and then I go, like, I normally have one idea, <laughs> sort of what I want in the show. Like, I'll normally have a little bit that I've been sort of trying out, and then I'll start with that, and then I just keep writing. Like, I don't lift the pen till the page is full. Okay. So if I I'll, I'll do shoes, laces, and then just little plastic bits, plastic Tupperware. Like I just keep going. Um, and the, uh, okay, and then what's the next? So you've got umpteen pages yeah. with constant writing on them. And then I just go through it and I go plastic bits. Do I have anything that's plastic? Tits, tits can be plastic. Do I have anything that I can say about tits? Yep, tits are nice and round. They've got the, you know. So I sort of just keep expanding on every point. Okay. And then um, on a selection of the points, presumably you look at some of them and go uh, buttons, shoelaces. Yeah, like tits. I okay, cross, fine, I look. cross a lot of stuff off. Okay. Like there's a lot of crap that comes out. I go seriously, I must have smelled toast when I had this because I have no idea what <laughs> what that was about. Like sometimes you write stuff, you're like, what the? So no, a lot of stuff get crossed off. But then other stuff, I'm like, mm, this is genius. I'm a genius. And then you know, I write stuff about that. But, um, yeah, I just keep going, keep going. Like, I'll just have, for every show that I, I'll, I'll buy three books. One is just me doing scribbles of the mind map. Um, the second one is sort of setting out all this stuff. Then I go through pages of just all these mind maps. It can be about 20 pages, just words that I've scribbled and, you know, a lot of cock and balls that I draw on the page. And then... <laughs> Lesbians do that as well. I have yeah, no idea. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a thing. It's, if you have hands, you do it. Um, and then... The last book is sort of where I start going, okay, the f- then I do timelines where I go um, zero to ten minutes I'm going to do, uh, and then I just start writing the stuff that I think, oh, that, that should work in there, ten to twenty, that, you know. So I sort of break it up. And, then and how long does the process it. take? You said you do, do it during the two weeks of Christchurch. Do you start yeah. with nothing and finish a fortnight later with an hour? Yeah, well, last Christchurch festival I wrote the whole thing in three days. Because I just sat down, I had three... Is that, is that the show you're doing now? No, that's that... the show that I'm taking to Australia, Poise Control, that I did in New Zealand last year. Okay. So I sort of stagger the shows. So the, this you... show is four years ago. This I'm show doing. you wrote four years Long ago? Long Flight to gotcha. Freedom, yeah. Okay. So in that, like one of the, the, the stuff you did about apartheid in, yeah. uh, in the show, mm. you said at one point that you... You sort of said to us, so a lot of people don't know what actually happened in 1981, and then you kind of said, these people said we're not prepared to do with this, you go and do the research. Yeah. So what's your take? I, I wasn't quite sure whether you wanted to get your hands dirty with some political stuff, yeah. or whether that was the jumping-off point for some more kind of easily acceptable observational 
Well, yeah. what, was the, what was that about for you? Okay, so with the 81 protests in New Zealand was the, you know, where they all protested with the rugby, with the South African team coming in. And because I start talking about apartheid at um, 45 minutes in, and then, because when I wrote this show, I'm like, how am I going to make apartheid funny? How's that, you know, sort of, how do you do it? And then I thought, oh, I don't really think I can. I don't really think I want to. So I just do stand-up comedy about sort of the observational stuff and, you know, difference between New Zealand and, and South Africa and, you know, all our dads wear short shorts. And then um, 45 minutes in, then I drop the apartheid thing and I call Nelson Mandela a terrorist and I sort of drop all the... And it's really quiet in the room. And for 10 minutes, it's really quiet. I don't make it funny. I just give them facts. And then, of course, I have to get them back again after that because they've been pumped. Like, I just give them all this information. And then I, that's why I say, well, you go read up on it. Because I do. Th- I want people to read up on it. I want people to think about it um, and mainly talk about it when they leave because so many people have strong opinions about it but don't actually know any facts. But I want them to go read up on it, even if they just get Nelson Mandela's book or, you know, just go Google some of the stuff around the 81 protests um, and actually read up. But people just know, oh, it was about rugby. Or, you know, like their their impressions are very... They have no idea actually what happened. Uh, Or they are under the impression they stopped apartheid with that Mm. rugby game. Mm. And I'm like, it's almost disrespectful to say that because of so many people that lost their lives and it was so much bigger than that. I mean, I think it's amazing that people took the time and protested, I think, and I genuinely believe if there's stuff that you don't agree with and there's other people, um, you know, sort of the little people that can't stick up for themselves, you should. You should make your voice heard. So the 81 protest was phenomenal, but what people took away from that was completely different than what actually happened. They they walked away from one protest and went, well, we stopped it. We, we finished yes, apartheid. Okay. It's like people, they go... Um, they they do one comedy show and they go, tick, I'm a comedian, I've nailed <laughs> yeah. comedy. I just want to talk a little bit more about the dynamic between you as an observationalist, as a person of the people yeah. who everyone is, who twinkles and everyone just yeah. kind of fall, they do sort of fall <laughs> at your feet when they literally yeah. run up to you and hug you. Yeah. The, the dynamic, the tension between that and opinion yeah. and how much opinion there is in your show and how important it is to you to describe the world as you see it. Like, do yeah. you... I, I don't think I've ever heard you talk on stage about your sexuality or yeah. about... Um, I mean, other than sort of, you know, a few yeah. a few jokes about yeah, it. Yeah, do you Do you have any kind of, like, burning desire to tell people how you feel about stuff? No. It's just not one of your priorities? No, because I... Um... I mean, I enjoy those shows. I, I go to these shows where people have like a like that. Um, what's that Adrian Truscott show? I loved it. Yeah. Um, but I'm not that comic. Like the apartheid thing, I almost felt like I needed to say something. It's sort of addressing the elephant in the room, and it was something that really bugged me. The fact that uh, everyone's got an opinion, but nobody has a clue. Mm. Um, and I thought I I'm going to write a show about it and just sort of. Um, set a few things straight or just have people talk talk about it or think about it at least, you know, sort of. And um, there's been heaps of discussions online about it and people email me, you know, going off read up or so that's amazing. But no, I'm not a, a message comic. I don't, like, if people leave my show and they go, 
that was a good laugh. Like, good. If they leave and they go, oh, well, that's something to think about. I'm not, like, I don't leave you with a message. There's not a greater purpose. There's not a, I, I tell you funny stories. You laugh and have a wine and go home and go, <laughs> we had a good night out. That's it. That's so would you, would you say you see yourself as an artist or an entertainer? Entertainer, I guess, because I said artist this morning and my friend that's visiting laughed at me. <laughs> he goes, oh, you're an artist on the South Island, are you? <laughs> so I was like, no, no, I'm a comic, I'm an entertainer, mate. <laughs> so, yeah. And is that, is, that, is that accurate, do you think? That's, that's the, you, that yeah, suits I think, you? Yeah, I think so. Don't look at me like <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah. I'm just interested. That's, that, 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 to me, um, I don't interview many people who go, oh, no, absolutely, entertainer. Yeah. I think so, because you know what? I... It's not that, they, that, they, that there's no struggle with that. Yeah. Normally people go, oh, I suppose, I suppose I'm just sort of an entertainer. Yeah. But you're like, bang, entertainer. No, I'm an this. entertainer. Because you know what? I look an artist as someone that is... Um, spend years crafting whatever they do. You know they they're amazing at it, and you look at it. You know when you leave some some show and you go, "Wow, that to me is an artist." You know. They do you spend... aspire to that though? Do you want people to come out and go, "Wow"? No, because I think as a comedian, you should, people should go out, walk out, and go. <laughs> That's it. Like I don't, you know. Um, like, some comedians, I guess, can be a bit of both, you know. Yeah. Like, but, no, to me, I'm happy just being an entertainer. Like I say, my job, um, which is an amazing job, is people come out, they away from home or whatever, they're just having a good time. People come to comedy shows, in my opinion, because they want to have a good laugh. Um, and if you can deliver that good laugh and they leave, you've done your bit, they've done their bit. What an amazing privilege to do. So, but, but do, you have, do you think you have to be a comedian or is it just something you've fallen into, you've turned out you're good at it and you might as well make some money out of it and have a laugh? No, I love it. I think it's amazing. I think it's an amazing job because, like I said, I didn't think it was something that you could do as a job. I didn't even think that was an option. I didn't think people could make a living out of this. And out of all the things I do, from the writing to the stand-up comedy is my absolute favourite. Because you look in their eyes and they're laughing and you go, this is great. Like, it's immediate. <laughs> it's, you know. I can't rock you. I can't unsettle you. You're happy. I am. Get out. I'm happy. This is phenomenal. <laughs> I, I love this. Like, people go, is it a job? Is it, is it a job? I don't know. It's just amazing. It's, it's a privilege. You know? Like, people go, things are expensive these days. You know, people have kids, lives, whatever, and they go, we're going to go out. We're going to spend our entertainment money on you. It's like they're betting on you, you know. It can go either way. You, as a performer, know that. You know, if I'm having an off day or if I, you know, can't, you don't know. Like, it's, it's a it's flick of the coin. You don't know. It can go anyway, mate. But you come out and they've put their hard-earned cash and they go, you're going to be the one. We're going to have a great time tonight. And you come out, you make them laugh. They have a great time. They leave, they go, we had a great time. And in five years from now, they're sitting around with their friends Go, do you remember when we went to that comedy show that one year? That was amazing. So you become part of their history. You become part of their lives. There's a huge amount of empathy from you. For them. Yeah. You give a fuck about them. I do. Not everyone does. Not everyone gives a fuck about them beyond 
are they making me feel good enough? I, <laughs> no. I don't know where I heard this recently, but there was someone sort of said you could either look at it two ways. You could, are, are you a comedian? Uh, maybe this was like a, a comic strip or something I saw online. Sorry if anyone knows where it's from. Email me and I'll credit it. <laughs> but uh, um, they said, are you, are you in it to make them laugh or are you in it to make them laugh at you? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Do you see yeah. that you see yeah, the difference? Yeah, yeah. Like, is it yeah. about them or is it about you being happy because you made them happy? Yeah, no, it's and about them. for you, them. it's about them. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what I say too, because I'm not motivated by money. Like, and uh, this frustrates the shit out of my wife, but... Because <laughs> <laughs> she's very analytical. She's very, like, we're complete polar opposites. Not that she's motivated by money, but I think um, she would like for me to be more, you know, sort of business-orientated, which yeah. I'm not, because I look at something, I go... Uh, like, for instance, if somebody goes, will you come and do a show at a bar? And I go, yeah, sure. And they go, we'll give you $50. And I said, all right, I'll go do it. Now, to me, the minute I've agreed to do it, I've signed off on, I'm happy with the money, I'm happy mm-hmm. with whatever. Then I rock up, and there's 1,800 people. They have completely oversold the gig. There's just people everywhere. I do the gig. I go home. I say to her, this was amazing. <laughs> I said, oh, I had such a good time. They had a good time. It was so good. Like, I looked out. There was tears running down. It's just mascara on this one lady's face. Okay. It was phenomenal. And you got $50. I go, what? Like, uh, yeah. the, the $50. Like, so, I don't think about the money. I just think about, am I doing a good job? Are they having a good time? They are. Success. We all go home happy. And then I get home and I'm like, oh, yeah, and I get paid for it. How amazing is this? <laughs> like, to me, it's a bonus. It's gravy. <laughs> it's the icing, not the cake. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then um, she's like, they should have given you more money. And I, oh, but I agree to it. Yeah, but they should have changed it. When they, the minute they oversold that first ticket, they should have said, we probably should give her a mm. bit more. But I don't think like that. I'm like, are they, you know, it's probably, like, I'm never going to be wealthy, am I? <laughs> like, <laughs> I've just heard myself, I, I'm I, never going to be wealthy. I think you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm never going to upgrade that 1988 Subaru that I'm driving. <laughs> um, we should wrap up. Thank you yes. so much for talking to me. Um, I feel like I, I, I would like to finish up with, the, like, a, a ComCom classic question. Um, what would be on your comedy gravestone? What would be your final message to the world? Here lies Ursula Carlson, New Zealand's Oprah. Like, that would be it. That would be it. That's what you want to be? Yeah. Well, I, I think I well, already... you'd put that anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm, that's going on anyway. It's, I've pre-booked it. I'm, I'm paying it off. It's on lay-by. <laughs> <laughs> why do you want to be New Zealand's Oprah? Because why wouldn't you want to be Oprah? She's a phenomenal woman. Um... And she's just amazing and she does so much for the world and she should be in charge of the entire world. And that is how it should be. Am I right? Like, yeah. <laughs> We've got one, one, one person listening to this in, in the theatre and she agrees with me. It's not no. the theatre, it's my hotel. Oh, oh, sorry, it's your hotel. <laughs> Why do you sleep in the theatre? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just reckon Oprah's amazing and I'm going to yeah. be her. Amazing, yeah. I'm sure you are. <laughs> So thank you to Ursula. Thank you, I should say as well, to everyone at the Christchurch World Buskers Festival. I've had such a good time here. Thank you to Tim Bain and Glenn Pickering, the uh, director and associate director. Other way around, other way around. Glenn's in charge. Uh, Tim is very much the power behind the throne. Um, Thanks for having me. Thanks to all the volunteers and all the people that worked here. Uh, Myself, Harley, Luke, Heggie and Chris Turner all had such a wonderful time here. 
and there were some brilliant, brilliant shows. So uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you to Ursula for coming on the show. Um, this episode is co-produced by Nathan Wood, and there's a strong chance that Olivia Phipps helped out with the podmin. Um, that's all for now. I'm still on my holidays. Try not to think too hard about when in the last few weeks I recorded this, because I think I've made a reasonable job of making it sound like it's all bag up to date. That's all for now, and I'll speak to you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.